Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is proudly sponsored by Golden Artist Colors, manufactured in upstate New York. Golden makes the best acrylics, Williamsburg oils, and core watercolors, along with mediums, textured gels, and so much more. Look, it's not a secret. If you make art, you know Golden. If you haven't used it, pick some up. You'll be hooked. You can find their materials in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sam Prekop is a musician and artist based in Chicago, Illinois. Sam is best known as the lead singer and guitarist for the legendary band The Sea and Cake, as well as his solo efforts in his earlier Chicago band Shrimp Boat. He was born in London and grew up in Chicago and studied at the Art Institute. His paintings have been shown at the Clementine Gallery in New York, the MCA in Houston, the Pompidou Center in Paris, the Modern Institute in Glasgow, and many others. In more recent times, Sam has focused on his photography, which he uses for many of the Sea and Cake releases. He's toured the world playing music countless times over. His solo discography includes 1999's Sam Prekop, 2005's Who's Your New Professor, 2010's Old Punch Card, 2015's The Republic, and he just released Comma, which you're hearing behind me right now. All of his solo releases have been released on Thrill Jockey Records. I spoke to Sam about his early days making art and music in Chicago, collaborating with amazing musicians, making paintings and taking photographs, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you because you have been a, unbeknownst to you probably, you have been a figure in my head for a long time. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, well, <laughs> because, um, so here's the backstory. Um, when I was in undergraduate school, I had a couple professors who were Art Institute of Chicago graduates who had spent okay. a lot of time in Chicago. And um, in this around this time, I was hanging out with guys who were doing new music DJing at the radio station at school. And um, just about the time when I first encountered um, a CD by a band called Shrimp Boat was when I was talking to one of my teachers and it came up and he was like, oh, I, I know those guys. Like, I've, I've seen those guys play. Right. And um, something about a, a club where normally like a shrimp boat kind of band isn't normally playing. I think it was underground or it was some different venue that he had seen you guys. We in. played at this club called Phyllis's, which is, uh, I guess it's technically Wicker Park. It was way, which was a lot different when we were playing back then or whatever. Yeah. But it's sort of like, a, yeah, we, we were not what was normally booked there, but somehow we got on the good side of the guy who ran it and we played there almost weekly it was sort of very old school like you know oh Saturday night tr time to go play the shrimp boat gig again or whatever <laughs> like and the, we developed a real session. sort of following and yeah in a real like old fashioned sort of way like 
of course you know you're in a band you play all the time that's a, which has not been the case for me in quite a while right but shrimp boat was a total it started while we were in art school at the art institute of chicago and uh it's an art school band you know yeah. for sure definitely i didn't know how to play anything at the time and it didn't matter you know do what you want try it out see what happens right so did you start as um i mean everyone listens to music growing up ideally you know of course, most people yeah. but i mean did you so you started on the path of like okay art is going to be something that i'm going to do because your dad's a photographer correct he's yeah photographer sculptor painter is kind of does installation stuff he kind of does it all yeah and i'm aware because i you know i grew up in pittsburgh okay yeah. and i believe he was at carnegie mellon right he was yeah yeah so um yeah i mean was was the path of maybe being an artist introduced at an earlier stage of course because of so family? yeah i was pretty young when i felt that i knew that i would be an artist yeah. and the the music thing happened so music was a big deal in our house you know listening to it my dad has uh, always had an amazing hi-fi way into records and you know music big part of uh, our our household um, but nobody actually played anything which is more an appreciation yeah definitely and then um I mean, I was an obsessive listener, and I think it was late in high school I started to think, mess around a little bit with, like, a borrowed, borrowed uh, guitar or something. Is this in Chicago? This in Chicago, point? yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I went to the uh, Art Institute where I met uh, fellow students. We were all working in the wood shop, and that's you know plenty of downtime and I don't know how it came up but one of them said I have a banjo and a saxophone I have a guitar whatever and that's and we just uh, agreed to try it out and see what happened or whatever so I must have been open to the possibility you know when I was hanging out with them kind of but I had no previous experience doing it before that yeah, so um, it kind of, you stumble, well, I feel like a lot of art school bands, that happens where it's almost like you stumble into some people that you're like, oh, you listen to that too, or oh, you play an instrument, let's just yeah, make totally. some music, especially at that, at that time, you know what I mean, where it, so much of the social interactions was built around going out to see music and the scene of that, you know, because art was so course, intertwined yeah. with it, with like zines and posters and, you know, it was kind of absolutely and they just went together almost like skateboarding and art went together back then you know it was just mm -hmm. kind of like partners in crime in a way which I think must be a little bit different these days uh, it must be yeah um, yeah I, one thing I remember is uh, you know I think of like the Velvet Underground as like a classic art school band and of course they were a huge influence on on me personally, but also just that there was a possibility that we could do something without necessarily being musicians or whatever, you know. But, right. Um, one of the members of Shrimpo actually knew how to, was quite skilled, and that, that was helpful, you know, to hang sort of my ineptitude 
was propped up by his skills, kind of. So the combo was quite intoxicating in a way, you know. Someone who could actually do something but was open to playing with people who were just purely emotive right. <laughs> with no skill. But that combination is, yeah, it's sort of a classic art school concept in some ways, or at least we felt it was. And, um, yeah, totally. And we had, being part of the school and all that also guarantees you a certain audience in a way, you know. Right. I think if we struck out out in public, so we played a lot of loft parties before ever like playing in public necessarily. You know, I think if we had just tried getting gigs uh, without that previous experience, I don't think it would have worked really. So, yeah, you know, I've I've talked to a lot of artists and musicians who were in New York around the time of CBGB's heyday when you know things were just jumping. There was that right. scene and. It's just like a special kind of alignment of time, date, place, energy, synergy. And I think those those are kind of a rare occurrence, you know. And like you, where you were in Chicago at that point and then coming up like that, I don't, I guess you can't really see the forest from the trees or what it's like outside of that. But it just seems like such a special kind of a trajectory of like where you were with, you know, going to art school all the art stuff that's going on, all that music that's, you know, developing and sort of broadening. It's like right place, right time, right everything. <laughs> did it feel that way? Or did it just feel like, ah, we're just doing stuff? Yeah, it just felt like we're just doing stuff. But um, with just the tiniest bit of hides- hindsight, you know, I appreciate that it was, you know, a special uh, situation. I trust that this still occurs everywhere for other people, you know. Right. I, I think there can be an amazing place right now, obviously, where stuff is happening and it feels, you know, singular in a in a, in a special way. Um, yeah, it's, it's like Discord or YouTube or something. <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's happening now somewhere. Right. You know, I have to trust. And so that's, that's great. Yeah. And uh, I certainly feel fortunate that um yeah i had my time with it and it was it was intense and exciting for sure well starting out yeah i would imagine and how did the the recipe the balance of making art and making music like because you're going to art school your intention is okay i'm gonna try to like you know work on my work and develop it and you know figure out what I'm going to do with my sort of visual voice and then all of a sudden audio jumps in the room and that becomes like a big element of expression what like your expectations going into school versus how music budged in what was how did you navigate those two worlds um well music won unfortunately (laughs) in a way I was quite conflicted actually I mean I I did uh I mean, I, I'm almost certain I would have gone to graduate school and taken a whole other tract with my art career and all that stuff if I hadn't, you know, fallen into the rock band kind of thing. But, yeah. um, I mean, I just had to follow my muse at the time, and that that was rock. I, I did... Um, 
I mean, I did have some success in galleries and all that stuff, and I tried to do both. And um, I've never been a real hustler. I mean, I probably would still have a gallery and all that stuff if I kept up with it, but I got more and more deeper. And, you know, once the CNK started, it became a whole other level. You know, I was touring all the time and all this stuff. Um, but I did have a few, I guess, four or five solo painting shows, a couple in Chicago and a couple in New York at yeah. uh, Clementine Gallery. And once they closed, it sort of, I didn't really like pick up the ball exactly. Right. Um, but is it with your creative output, like music? It's funny because music can do that. It can be either a great facilitator or it can be a really a real hindrance. Like if you're working with people where it's impossible to get them into the studio to practice and it's impossible to line up a schedule to play, it just becomes like a roadblock. And then I think people who teeter between art and music will, will join the art side fully because it's like, well, I'm in my studio. No one can – I don't have to call three guys up and say, hey, come on over. We're going to paint. Right, <laughs> but if if you do have, I mean, you seem to be in. You know, once the sea and cake was rolling, and you know, you're doing a lot of that whole community's collaborating within different bands. I mean, it just yeah. seems like there's not enough hours of the day for you guys to like what projects you're going to do and stuff. And that it seems like that would take the momentum forward. You know, um, I think so. I mean, it's true. I've never experienced that sort of you know frustration with lack of things to do <laughs> in, in a way I don't know um, like the whole photo thing was actually really quite helpful um, which I started doing while on tour and that became in my mind anyways a way to to sort of keep sharpened with thinking visually and um I had not big ambitions for photography previously, and being, you know, a painter, I'm like, yeah, photo, you know, photography is a lesser art. I'm not interested in, you know, whatever. But um, it started to make sense going along with my music career in a way, and so it became an important visual outlet without having too much baggage on it you know I just sort of did it it was like a way to exist and be looking and thinking about stuff visually all the time while I was you know nowhere near my painting studio or anything like that yeah um, did it satisfy the itch because um, it's, well it's a it became thing. a different kind of itch in a way I mean it's sort of it does feel quite separate from painting but also I feel like I'm a painter that makes photographs, basically. Like, I think of it as uh, photographs can feel like, you know, really fast, instant paintings <laughs> in totally. a good way, you know, yeah. sort of. Um, and so that's how I went at it. I, I guess I, I obviously wasn't too worried about... Um, well, that's not true. I mean, I did worry about not painting, and I still haven't painted in in quite a while actually even though I do think about it all the time and I do more drawing stuff which that sort of 
scratches that itch a bit. Anyway, yeah. but I've been thinking more and more lately, um, and and so I do these solo records, which is sort of like painting in my studio. Kind of, you know, it's a solo pursuit, and it's sort of related to the painting. Um, but I've been thinking more and more lately about starting it up again, and yeah, and I don't feel like it would be like I already know how I would start. And it would not be there yet, but at least I know what I want to do and how to get it going again. So I think that would be a common hurdle for a lot of people. It's like, what do I do? You know. But I, I sort of, right. um, I feel like I have a strategy in place to get me going again once I do it. I just, um, I need to move all my synth gear out of here, <laughs> off in the corner because it's a it's a you know it's nagging me all the time to do stuff with it and yeah that looks pretty tempting all those knobs and switches (laughs) yeah totally how do you not play around with those (laughs) i know so once i get those out of here i can uh, get the paint set up again maybe perhaps well you know what's it's it's funny looking at you know the photographs that you've done that are out Mm -hmm. there you know that i've seen and then looking at those early paintings, the early paintings feel from, you know, an outsider's perspective, they feel more aligned as a sort of organic building and stacking and looping right. that some mm-hmm. of your solo stuff does sonically. And the photographs feel more like, which, and they work for seeing record covers because they feel like that. It's almost like, for me, when I listen to the seeing cake, I could never figure out what the hell you were singing or what it was about, but right. it painted a picture. Like, there was a feeling of it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I feel like those photographs, I don't know where a lot of those photographs are, but there's a feeling of that place. Like, you sort of capture that feeling. And it, it, to me, they seem aligned in a way. And then that, you know, the solo stuff and those paintings that you were doing feel more aligned. And it seems like now that you're doing, a, it, I'm guessing, a lot more of the solo stuff, um, it would be interesting to see how that translates in the, on the canvas. Uh, yeah. I, I never worry about how one thing translates to another. I just sort of, it's all quite intuitive, and I trust that I'll, you know, take the right steps in the right direction, it, which is not always the case, but I usually self-correct somehow and get on the right, on the right track. Um, yeah. The photos... I think I love doing it so much as, uh, I mean, the images are, my favorites are absolutely mysterious to me as well. I mean, I have no idea why one might work and another doesn't. I can respond to them in, in purely formal ways, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, it's very moved by this color, assemblage of colors and shapes yeah. and forms. and. It, and other ones will get to me that could be outright not pleasant looking in a certain way but has sort of like an awkward beauty to it which I think is I'm never I'm always afraid of being too outwardly pretty with any of it because it's just too easy and not not enough uh, depth to it so um, you want a little grit Kind of, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm drawn to. It's like, um, and it's same with music too. I mean, I know that my stuff can be quite, pr- 
pretty, quote unquote, but I hope that's not it, obviously, and that um, beautiful is something I would like to go for. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, it, it, but it always, you know, from that, thinking of that first seeing Cake record, you know, the first one was with the Afro, like the, is that Eric's drawing? Uh, it's actually a friend of ours, Carol Jackson, who okay. you might know her work, actually. But. Oh, when did, so that was a while ago, right? What record? Yeah. What, what year did that come out? Ninety-eight? Uh, Ninety-three. Oh, 93. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, but in, in that, there's a lot of sort of sonically beautiful layering of things, and, you know, but then your voice, like, you would always sort of belt something out to just, like, you know, to keep people in check, I think. <laughs> right songs, or yeah, whether I it was mean, like an angular guitar part that just kind of came in and you right, know, exactly. just like you know shake up the beauty a little bit with something. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've I've always felt that sort of internal dichotomy of elements and sort of unexpected uh, combinations of things add up to more than the sum of its parts, or whatever. And, and I've. Um, without thinking too much about that beforehand, I mean, it's a very, um, you know, intuitive process, like what idea leads to the next one. I don't like to prescribe it beforehand so much. And yeah. uh, if I do, those usually end up being the weaker moves, you know, and not, they don't hold up as well. Um So yeah, I've always followed my gut with all of the stuff and whether that means, you know, this quite placid piece of music demands a jarring abstract guitar solo, then, you know, so be it or whatever. Yeah. And often with the photo stuff, you know, there'll be something seemingly oddly out of out of place or crooked in a weird way or whatever. I've noticed that all of my photos are like slanted and this is not on purpose, it's just obviously how I need to see it at the time that I take it but um, when I'm taking the photo I'm not thinking oh I need to slant a little bit you right. know sort of um, so I try to be as like transparent with what gets me to do anything kind of or you know what what gets me to push the the shutter or what mark on the piece of paper leads to the next one. All, all of these, I've always thought all of the work is, um, it's like the uh, artifact of thousands of decisions focused on one thing, basically. Yeah. And what you end up with is a song, painting, or photograph, basically. Right. Yeah, I mean, it must have been interesting, too, to be around, because... You know, in your own work, you have your aesthetic, and then you have a natural way that you're thinking about or creating music. But then, and then being with people like Archer, who's, if I'm not mistaken, isn't he like into cartoons? And like, yeah, he's a cartoonist com- and an yeah. artist in yeah. general. Yeah, definitely. And then Eric also does visual stuff too, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and being in that scene, I mean, you were probably around the days of like Wesley Willis drawing his drawings in the subways and stuff like that. Was that happening? In your- I was around in those days. I didn't actually see it happen, but yeah. But that, there's that. a certain zeitgeist of you know of stuff going on there. That yeah, a lot yeah. of different kind of 
aesthetics, but a lot of energy in different mediums that I'm sure right. was like bleeding around. And, you know, I haven't spent that much time in Chicago, but it's kind of a, you know, you can, it's a small, it, like to me, it feels, it's obviously bigger than Pittsburgh, but if you're in Pittsburgh for a little while, you kind of get to know everyone. There's kind of, you know, right. it's the community where in New York, I feel like it, it can get that way, but then there's always such an influx and, you know, uh, people coming and going. It's, it's hard to right, really bring right. your finger on it. Whereas provincial towns, which I grew up in, that's that's one of the beauties of it. Is you feel like a community there. Yeah, totally. I mean, that that was a big deal for the sea and cake, and uh, yeah, the whole thrill jockey thing was very you know Chicago focused, and um, yeah, it was very exciting with the sort of cross pollination of people from different micro scenes working together and all that. Right. What's weird is I'm sort of known for working with a bunch of different people, but in reality, since I don't actually know how to play anything in a <laughs> normal musical sense, I have to be like the leader. They have to be playing my my way or the highway. Right. You're the author. So like I can't <laughs> sit in on, on someone's gig or whatever, you know, because I'm like, I don't actually know how to play anything here, but we can... You- you're not the yeah. session guy. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's, which I always chuckle at because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people's impression of those days in Chicago is everybody playing with each other and doing this and that or whatever. But yeah. I have to say, everybody had to play, yeah, my way. Otherwise, it wasn't going to work. <laughs> well, the moment, like, I remember the tour, I, I believe it was you guys was it you tortoise and five style yeah together mm-hmm. i mean the moment you have one guy in one band sit on the other guys set and play something then everyone right. everyone thinks oh you guys are just all playing on everyone else's stuff right <laughs> you know it's like it, it immediately like just makes everyone a collaborator of equal totally. amounts totally. which is probably totally not the case but it's perception which i think is it's kind of nice you know it's like a goodwill expression of goodwill in a way you know everyone working together yeah. for the for the good of the scene or whatever so i don't dispute it really i usually just roll like, yeah, yeah well to me that's the, what we did the, to me the the exciting thing about that was it seemed to be um it seemed to open a lot of doors for the the infection of other styles of music to come into other people's work in a way right so you know like you might have elements of like like five styles funk stuff and then that would come in a little bit of tortoise stuff not that they weren't separate in the sense but you know I like it just all bleeded around there was a lot of different kinds of music stuff going on at the time yeah I mean I think a big hallmark of the scene and our scene and how I've always thought of it is that um, you know what you try to do musically you try to reflect what you're into listening to you yeah. know basically and i was not only into rock bands in fact that was like not my main thing like shrimpo was not really part of like the rock scene exactly in the beginning and by the time the cnk came around chicago and the scene it was sort of known for people being interested in you know all kinds of stuff and that sort of um and i take some pride in that that shrimp boat was, you know, we would try, we would free improvise and then try some sort of 
bluegrass kind of thing and then you know more like rock band garage band kind of thing or whatever so um and we had no problem <laughs> problem <laughs> with that at the time it was seemed quite radical though i mean especially in chicago it's sort yeah. of like why are you doing this and it doesn't make sense and you know this is scandalous and whatever so was that was that based on that like attitude sort of I think there was you know definitely Chicago rock scene which I didn't know anything about like you know coming out of art school art school band was a dirty word at the rock clubs you know at yeah. that time I don't even know the bands, you know, it'd be like Naked Raygun and, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, the Albini bands or whatever. And I can't think of Big Black, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Which I was actually not up on any of that stuff at the time. Um, but of course, it did not matter to Shrimpo. And through Shrimpo, you know, the people who became devotees, like John McIntyre, who I didn't actually even realize he was a big fan, but before he was in the CNK, he was way into, you know, Shrimp Boat and stuff. and came. So Shrimp Boat, in a weird way, was an odd catalyst for, like, the next step, which would which included, you know, the CNK and Tortoise and all that stuff. And right. I think it just became clear and obvious that we can should and can do whatever we want you know it's sort of you know it's not there's no taboo to like throwing in you know like a house beat on a rock song or something, right. you know stuff like that and even like the electronic stuff with the sea and cake at that time the two did not really mix terribly often you know i mean when we did the fawn i don't think there were many other records that combined the two idioms so explicitly at that yeah. time. That, I mean, there were that I was not aware of, obviously, you know, historically. Yeah. Um, so that was intensely exciting for us at the time, and that's kind of, you know, the idea of remixing alternative rock and you know no but people weren't doing that yet at that time you know right. that with that sort of attitude towards it so i think that was you know somewhat of an innovation on our part totally and i think you maybe unlocked a door that was so often locked that is like we're this we don't do that like that sort of separation right. that was happening in music so much in that time yeah. I mean, maybe it was always like that, but... Um, I mean, know. now everything's changed, uh, you know, with the internet. So nobody thinks twice about listening to everything and oh, all kinds course. of stuff They're at all times. throwing it together. And so, in the 90s, not so much the case. Right. You know. Yeah. No, it was, uh, you know, we're the indie rock guys, you're the, you know, the hip-hop right. or whatever. Like, things were kind of split up, I guess. Yeah. Now you have, you know, Japanese 12-year-old girls singing over death metal. I love that stuff. <laughs> it's, amazing. it's amazing. Isn't it amazing? Do you feel like the Fawn is like one of the best, or I don't know the best, but or what, like what, which one of the records do you, are they all different? Or do you look back and say, 
because of the the fawn was like different like it it combined things in a different way and it just has it's to me it stands out as a different kind of record than the rest almost completely you you might be right i i have to admit i do not listen to the stuff i don't go back and check it out i know (laughs) i mean i i I hear stuff you know by accident sometimes and um Often my relationship to the material is through playing stuff live or whatever. Yeah. And for whatever reason, well, a big reason is because of that sort of electronic part of it, we've not really been able to pull off a lot of that live. I mean, a few things. I mean, back when the record came out, you know, we worked much harder to pull it off. But for some reason... uh, and it's probably my fault because I can barely remember how to play most of these tunes. Like, if I forget how to do it, then it's like, it's going to be hard for me to figure it out again, kind of. Uh, uh, you know, age. Isn't it great when you just start to forget things? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm not even going to get that one back. We're just I know. Well, I have play. so many tunes now. It's yeah. like, oh, God, I don't... You know, so... And it's like how to pick and choose. So I I am pretty lazy with my live repertoire. Like once I know how to play a certain set of things, I like to stick with it. You know, <laughs> this is once my I set. got it down. That's what I like to do. Right. I mean that is, but honestly, that's like an amazing. I don't want to say a luxury, but maybe just an amazing accomplishment that you have that much material to pull from. Um, Isn't that rare to be doing what it, you're doing as long as you're doing it? Like at, in, yes, totally in a way rare. that works and it's not, you know, where's the, uh, the C and Cake made three records and they came back after 25 years and did a reunion record or something, you know, right, that right. kind of uh, paradigm yeah. that happens often with, with bands. I mean, people are like, I can't believe you're still going and making records. And my response is always... Uh, if we can, it would be a shame not to, basically. Yeah. I, I mean, I trust that I'll know when it's not going to work. And as soon as that happens, there won't be another seeing cake record. Anymore. Yeah. Do you think that's been um, facilitated to some extent by the fact that other guys are doing other th- Like, it's not, your eggs aren't all in one basket. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. I right? So. Because when it's one band, how many documentaries have you seen on bands where it's like, you know, the one guy in the band's like, oh, I'm just not feeling this anymore. And the other three are like, no, this is our thing. You we have to this. feel it. Yeah. <laughs> we need this. And then, then then all the air comes out of the balloon, you know. Totally, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I hope to make another and Cake record. Definitely. I've not started one yet lately or whatever um, you're doing a lot of your stuff too so yeah so I'm doing all my which is which is more you uh, it's been good during the pandemic you know because since I have to work on my own anyways it's sort of whatever of course I did the solo record before the pandemic but I always uh, you know they always go back and forth you know C and cake then a solo record and the the cycle it takes about two years for each one you know that's just how it is yeah you know you make one record you make the record it comes out you tour 
by the time you realize that it's been two years, time to make another record. <laughs> the same, you know, it just keeps going. That's it's a I rhythmic think. cycle. Yeah. So the next thing would be a scene and cake record. Um, I mean, hopefully something works out with this pandemic. It's not looking promising anytime soon. Yeah. To do anything. But. It's not kind to, and you can probably relate. I mean, it feels like this, the circumstance, this sort of totality of circumstances, it's not been kind to musicians, whereas maybe artists, it's kind of okay to just be in your studio alone working, you know? Right. And we're not performing, like you may have an opening and that's pretty much the extent of your, you know, social interactions other than like, you know, just going around doing studio visits or going to openings, but pretty much, you know, you're in your studio working. Yeah, I always, I have a tinge of guilt because uh, the CNK, I think we played about eight shows right before the shutdown. Like we played in Mexico City and then five days later is when everything got shut down. So, you know, I feel like, oh, you know, we lucked out, we made it just right in at the end or whatever. Um, And there's a weird, it felt odd. You could tell that something was, nobody quite knew what it was yet or what was actually happening or whatever. But um, at all the shows, there was a, intense energy like this is the last show i'll probably see for a while you know without without anybody being able to name it or know what was really happening there was that this is the end sense going on i mean it was really eerie the shows were amazing yeah but for eerie tragic reasons i'm afraid it's like the uh the beauty before a hurricane when you see birds just starting to lose their shit and they're like flying Mm -hmm. in circles and freaking out and you're like something's not right here it's it's, exactly like that yeah Yeah. it's It's a weird feeling that's kind of the zeitgeist i feel like i mean i don't know if you've been i'm not a news hound but i mean if you're tapping into anything right now we've got like 120 degree fires in california we've got you know it's if you pay attention to it it can be pretty grim uh, very great. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to like not talk about it too much around my son because I don't want to bum him out too much. But I'm like, yeah. man, this might be, it might be your generation that's handling this stuff, you know? Oh god, yeah. But I guess it, it you know, it, it. Well, I've heard of people who get a little paralyzed with being creative in these times, but I think a lot of people it, it drives you to want to, you know, use your voice in a way that's non-detrimental to the, to the world, ideally. Um, yeah, it's weird for me because, uh, in a way, nothing, not much has changed for my, like, day-to-day lifestyle. I mean, I'm lucky that I have cheap overhead, I'm able to work on my stuff all the time anyways, or whatever. I have two kids, um, that I was in charge of homeschooling, so that was a big change. But I was into it, so it wasn't a problem really I mean I did less work during that time but um, so yeah I also feel kind of I mean I feel terrible for people that you know need to go on a bus and go work somewhere and be encountered with the public and exposed to all this stuff so I feel 
uh, you know, be unfortunate that I'm able to just do what I do yeah. in my house, basically. So yeah, you know, in New York City, there are people, a lot of people are like, why don't they just make all the schools go all remote? And the thing is, there's a lot of single parents or or families out there that they have to totally. work. They have to go to. They both have to go to work. So what are they going to do? Like their kids are just going to be yeah. home all day. You know, it's really tough. But your your kids graduated from Dad University. <laughs> they made it through. Yeah, we're about to start up. They're actually in Maine right now, and uh, and we've decided that so they're with their mom in Maine. They have been for the summer because yeah. we have a house out there as well. But um, I've stayed back to watch this place, and we have two greyhounds that I have to walk and feed all the time. Yeah. But we've... Uh, so they're going to be doing remote school from Maine for a while. I'm actually going out there next week for like a month or something. Um, Isn't it crazy? Just schools can be anywhere. Like, I have friends who are like, yeah, we're starting school and it's a picture of them in Europe or something. They're just like, you know, well, what? we don't need to be here. We can be anywhere. I, know. I mean, they want to be... They obviously miss their friends oh, and all, but school is nowhere near normal. They won't be able to hang out with their friends in it, you know. So, and in Maine, there's less pandemic stuff happening. Yeah, you know, they can go outside and ride their bikes and not worry about it so much. Uh, you know, Chicago, we live right in the city. It's you know much more intense. Yeah. environment in general and so anyways we've decided that they're gonna stay out there for a while probably but yeah well i'm curious as someone who you know you went to school art school and obviously your father was you know long entrenched in the academic world and mm-hmm. but you know you forged a path where you can creativity is part of your life you're not working the nine to five office gig right. how do you feel about you know, in this shift, because I've been thinking about it a little bit, the shift of like a lot of our younger kids, like the importance of school and academics and like how, like how you weigh that, you know what I mean? Because it feels like they're not going to get quite the rigor from Zoom as they would if they're in the school itself. And is that necessarily a bad thing? Like, do we need to pound academics or, or is there something sort of freeing about a more I know so what's interesting is uh, my kids have gone to a Waldorf school so it's totally different anyways and so I feel like they've actually been able to deal with this perhaps better or whatever and it's of course Waldorf is not focused on you know acing tests and you know mountains of homework just so that you can pass the test and all this stuff so they're quite self-sufficient in a good way I guess Um, so I think they're faring quite well Uh, sounds like a good situation yeah I mean it would I mean I feel terrible that they're going through this um I'm fine, I'm okay, but I definitely worry about, you know, being 12 and having to go through this. It's got to be, 
something's not, happening. Not great, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, they don't. They don't. In in some ways, it's a blessing. They don't know everything that they're missing. I mean, they can only live in the moment, kind of. And yeah. we can help make this the best that we can. And so that's part of why they're still in Maine. I think it's it's actually more normal day to day, right? There than here. Um, yeah, there's so much exodus from cities right going on right now, where people are like. Like you were saying, like being in New York City, I can't avoid people. You know, it's just so con- right. Especially when it was really bad here, it was you know you're just around people. Like you take the elevator downstairs and there's people. Yeah. Um, and you know you have friends who have that upstate house or place in you know in the country, and and they're like, yeah, we just go out riding bikes and we don't have to wear a mask most of the time. You know, they just yeah, it, it kind of like we contextualizes the priorities of, of location I think to an extent although, yeah, although a totally. lot of them are getting bored too so you know yeah I mean yeah I mean we're completely fortunate in this situation so I, I don't want to dwell on how good we have it or anything like that but and it's definitely um, you know the neighborhood I live in Chicago is uh, Pilsen, which is very uh, Mexican-American mm-hmm. sort of focused area. And it's quite densely packed here. I mean, it's not to New York levels or whatever. But the effect on like this neighborhood has, not, has been quite detrimental. And it's obviously um, been terrible for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's uh, awful. So, you know, whatever needs to happen to straighten it out needs to happen. Oh, November, you mean? Well, let's... Exactly. I mean, let's hope for that. Oh, my God. Or else, uh, you know, I keep keep telling people, you know... Let's not turn this into a Trump podcast. Yeah, that's true. Oh, by the way, the C&K. What a nightmare. But, yeah. Well, let's do do a left turn on it. Speaking of the band title... It came from a Gaster del Sol song, right? Is that a, a misinterpretation of a right. Gaster del Sol song? So John was uh, in Gaster del Sol, I guess. I mean... Playing with yeah, him. Right. And they have a song called uh, The C, Letter C, in Cake. And John always thought it was the C and Cake. <laughs> and it's one of those names that... Uh, so when he first came up with it, I I cannot believe that any of us were like, oh my God, that's it, <laughs> amazing, or whatever. <laughs> but it's one of those weird, and I've always been drawn to these uh, collection of words that seem so average or commonplace, but that are so unexpectedly put together that oh, it yeah. becomes something else. And so that's what I liked about it. It's sort of like a very underassuming like haiku or something. And and who who has ever uttered the sea and cake previously? <laughs> you know, and so that makes it so that makes it a terrible band name, but quite interesting <laughs> at simultaneously. Clearly the only person was David Grubbs. <laughs> was the right. only person. Exactly. Who said it so um 
I mean, the, the, the amount of musicianship that went on there in that community, I mean, it's pretty amazing. And like, to think you, um, because your first solo record, right? What, when was that recorded? 2000 maybe? 1999? I think, yeah, 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, that was, did you record that at uh, Electrical? I recorded it. I don't remember the it was name Jim of the, right? the studio. Yeah, with Jim. So we did the basic tracks at the studio out in Hoffman Estates. That Jim was tracking a lot of stuff there. Yeah. And then for about a month or more, I worked with Jim at his house, like doing the vocals and overdubs and mixing and all that stuff. Um, How was recording with him? It was great. I mean, I was a huge fan, and I mean, we had we were like mutual fan society, and it was yeah. exciting. You know, we didn't really know each other that much previously. I mean, John has always been quite tight with Jim, yeah. um, so it was sort of like we were just starting to date. You know, so it was a great time. The honeymoon period. A total total <laughs> honeymoon period. But I would show up at Jim's house, and on several occasions, Jim would be like asleep on the mixing board, and I'd have to like wake him up and like, Jim, we gotta, you know, get to work with him. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, man, I've been up all night watching, you know, Cassavetti's films or whatever. <laughs> I thought you were gonna I mean, say I was up all night recording, but he was. No, he's like a big film buff. I mean, he's you know voracious consumer of yeah. art, music, film, all that stuff. Culture, right? Culture. You know, he's just, in Japan now. Right? He's like devours it. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I'd wake him up and we get to get to work. <laughs> but there were plenty of times where I would be doing a lot of stuff and he would be, you know, off somewhere else or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that, those first two records. I mean, it's obviously a lot different than you know the more recent solo stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that anything that you ever think of going back or you know getting those guys together again? Because like Chad played on both records, right? Uh yeah. Um, Although people moved, right? Like not everyone is in. Yeah, Chicago. so no one's. Uh, I guess Josh is in Chicago. He's mm-hmm. like an archer, but everyone else. Um, Rob Mazurik was a big part of the band yeah. as well. Not so much on the records, but like the live band, he was quite critical to the group and stuff. Is in Texas somewhere, and Chad, I think, is in New Jersey. You know, near New York somewhere. Yeah. Um, I guess it's possible, but I don't see it happening or whatever. That would be one of those things where I would not want to like mess with that legacy in a way. Or yeah, yeah. I mean, that, for me, those show some of those shows were. I feel like my highest achievements in music, kind of or whatever. They were good live shows. Um, and I hear more about that first solo record than anything else I've done, probably. Oh really? Um, I'd say it's definitely up there. Yeah. Yeah, it had a nice sort of Gilberto-like touch to it, you know? 
but yeah, obviously I don't know. So for some reason people like yeah really got into that record in particular it might have um, something to do with the fact that it's a really good record <laughs> that might be part of it but you know <laughs> that probably sells it so I'm not saying it couldn't happen but I don't see it happening but look I'm not any, trying to anything's tell you, possible I'm not yeah. trying to tell you what to do but that could be your 25 year reunion record right like yeah, the totally. live tour and you know just play that record live I mean we could probably do it actually you know I, have to write a bunch of new tunes and yeah it's funny though like i feel like with when people listen to music they do want to hear you know they'll get into the you know the, the tracks or the songs that they really like or whatever and they expect that it's but as an artist and you coming from you know an art background i think artists tend to not we don't look back or listen to our old or think about that you're always thinking about that next step you want to take and when Uh-oh, it must be odd and breaking music up a Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think it's odd in music. Like, it must be odd when people want you to do that thing from 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, I do find it... It's not my favorite thing to do, but I am absolutely grateful that people want to hear yeah, yeah. songs that I did 10 years So I do whatever, what they want, you know, and I fully understand, like, you know, if I'm going to go see the Sea and Cake, they better play, you know, Parasol or whatever. Otherwise, I didn't see them kind of thing. So right. I fully, I'm into it. It's totally fine. Um, of course, I'd rather just... Although I'm not... It's fun to play all that stuff, too, and it's, um, it's not a problem, and it's, you know, it's great to do it live. Um, but I guess I do... I mean, whenever we do a new record, you know, we, the half of the show tends to be off the new record, and that's exciting to you know to learn how to pull off the new stuff and yeah. creating a new show, um, knowing that you have to hit all the bases, and now there are many bases <laughs> that must that must be hit right. from uh, an exhaustive career. But you know, you can't. Uh, please everyone all the time either so it's you can't we just have to please yourself yeah you know, gotta <laughs> gotta do what seems right at the time and and move on kind of you know, right no no other way through it so well you have this these new songs are trickling out and you have a new record coming out right it comes out tomorrow yeah oh it's tomorrow yeah it was supposed to be i think it was originally slated for july 10th but COVID production hang-ups, you know, has yeah. pushed it back. So tomorrow, uh, it officially comes out. Now, yeah. do you do any kind of like online sort of perform? Or like, how does it change as far as like releasing something in this climate? Um, or do you just drop it and run? I don't know. I did do like a live stream thing the other day. It wasn't. You know, for my new record or anything like that, but I performed like a modular solo thing. Was that the one at the Andrew Andrews Gallery? Yeah, yeah. So I did that, and it was pretty weird. I mean, it was nothing. It was not like playing a show. I mean, yeah. you know, I dragged all my stuff out of the house and set it up and sound checked, and then played 
to nothing kind of yeah it didn't really matter because you know i'm quite focused anyway and so it doesn't i don't need people you know yelling at me right especially when i'm doing the the sim thing it's so um but there's also definitely something missing there as well you know like okay i guess that's it but um (laughs) Yeah, it's changed a lot. But I think think it's cool. I actually watched some of the other performances, you know, like the next night, like Bill McKay and stuff, and I'm like, wow, this is great. I'm I'm loving it. You know, I'm watching it on the computer or whatever. It sounds great. Yeah. I'm not jammed in some bar, you know, or whatever. I mean, so there are some benefits, but it's, there's no way you could, pretend that it's anywhere near a semblance of a a show kind of thing or whatever. Yeah, I think we just have to recalibrate our expectations of what, you know, yeah. performing is going to be for a little while. You know, when right. you can't be around I mean, people. I'm surprised at how quickly... I can't believe that it's been shut down for seven months already. Right? I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago. So I think before you know it, it'll be fall 2021 and maybe something can happen yeah yeah i mean ideally right we can get back to something i mean you would hope but i I, I, I don't i don't i think it's going to be much later than people realize totally the reality of it are you trying to say that maybe the infrastructure isn't doing a good job of facilitating a quick return around on this Hmm. (laughs) did i just say that out loud yeah Yeah, we're we're going we're driving hard at the uh, the batch of the herd immunity hoop for uh, whether we like it or not. I guess. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Coming your way. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. The record comes out tomorrow on Thrill it Jockey, does, yeah. right? Thrill Jockey. Yeah. All the platforms and stuff. It's ideally vinyl is the best way to to get things right. Um. Is it coming out on vinyl? Yeah, it's on vinyl. You can even get it on CD if you want. What's Which, that? I'm uh, sorry, what's that? A CD? <laughs> I know. It's called Compact Disc. What's interesting is they still buy, uh, in Japan, people still like CDs. Oh, yeah, definitely. Quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, vinyl, CD, streaming. Will and yours release in Japan? We have the Japanese. With like. The it tradi- is coming up. The traditional extra tracks that are always like There's gold. one extra one, yeah. Isn't that great? Like, I remember that from back in, I used to love the Stone Roses and bands like that. You know, those right. sort of the like sho- the shoegazer band. And they would always, I would get those Japanese imports that had like the extra tracks. Yeah. Boy, I'm, I sound old whenever I talk like that. <laughs> yeah. Certain contingent just What's a bonus out. track? <laughs> You mean there's music that you can access immediately? Yeah. Yeah. What? Little gold mines. But yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. And um, I guess eventually you'll be back out and and playing and doing that stuff. Um. Yeah. Hopefully, I I had one project that's been put on hold because of all this is um, John McIntyre and I have a duo where I play my synth stuff and John does like electronic drums and we've done a couple of short European tours that mm-hmm. have been that were great 
and uh, people are really into it. And so our plan was to make a record. Um, our plan was that it would be done now, and we, you know, would it would be in the can and be coming out. Um, but that's not happened. Um, and we thought about trying to do it remotely, kind of, but. Which we could do that, but it would make for different music. Yeah. Because the thing that we're doing, it's pretty like in the moment, live, sort of instantaneous reaction, give and take kind of stuff. And that's what we like about it. And so we feel like that's what we should do. And and we could do another kind of record, but then it would be something else. So Right. Will you start to be able to like meet friends like if you're tested and be able to do something like that where you could get in a studio or is it just studios are shut down and everything's you know so we could pull it off um john is in portland oregon so of course oh he moved i can't go there yeah so he's he's been out of chicago for a while um and i actually mixed my record my new record with John in Portland at his he has like it's more like a home studio but it's really nice you know and decked out so I can imagine um, and we recorded a fair amount during that time as well but uh, so it's possible we might have enough material now to work on but it's better if we just decided to do it and then do it and finish it you know kind of thing and so it's possible um yeah it it can happen it's not like um i mean the main problem is just flying there seems not great exactly whatever right yeah um, that's a monkey wrench logistics these days you know can do it I guess, and it'd probably be okay. Yeah. Sort of thing, but yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing the record tomorrow. It's been really great to talk to you. Thanks for giving me so much of your time. You bet.